I'm going to be preaching a sermon titled Hiding from Greatness. Hiding from Greatness out of Matthew chapter 15 or 25 verses 14 through 30. And I know it is a um, decent portion of text, but I do want to ask you in the honor of God's Word, if you would please stand together as we read these verses. Beginning in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, the Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us pray. Lord, we love You this morning. We are grateful as we have paused and remembered the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we've read Your Word this morning. We pray, God, that Your Word now would uh, penetrate our hearts. We were reminded that Your Word is alive, that it is living, that it is powerful that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts of men. This morning, God, we pray that You would open our hearts to this passage of Scripture. I ask, Lord, that You would anoint me to properly divide Your Word of truth, to preach it in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning, God, if there be anyone here who has not truly know You in the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day of salvation for that man or that woman. 
God, I ask, Lord, that You would encourage Your people, that we would leave challenged, Father, and changed with a heart and mind to be about our Father's business. Lord, we ask that You would do something this morning in our midst that only You can do. We promise to give You and You only the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to preach to you this morning on the thought, hiding from greatness. Hiding from greatness. When we start off this parable that Jesus was telling those around Him, we see in verse 15 that there were three people. God gave one five talents. God gave one two talents. God gave one one talent. And then all of them had a responsibility to do something with the talent that God had given them. We see that two of them, who are really not the subjects of the sermon this morning, but we see that two of them took what God had given them and they used it to build upon what God had given them. The one with five talents said, hey, I have taken these five talents and not only have I used them, but I have used them to make another five talents. And we see the one that had two talents said, I have taken the two talents and I have used them to make an additional two talents on top of what you've given me. One of the things I want us to see before we really move to the heart of the sermon is verse 21 and verse 23. Verse 21 is the Lord's response to the servant who produced an additional five talents. Verse 23 is the Lord's response to the servant who had produced an additional two talents. I will just read one verse because they are identical. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Word for word without changing anything at all, the response to the one who had produced five talents and the response to the one who had produced two talents was the exact same identical response. It teaches us that God sees differently than we see. It teaches us that God judges us and God rewards us based upon simply doing the best that we can with what God has given us. And we are in a, uh, a world as people, as our culture, as humans, we are prone to try to compare ourselves with everybody else around us and think, well, I'm not as significant as the five-talent man. God saw their work as equal and God rewarded them equally. Anybody that understands about producing wealth and understands investing would actually tell you it's easier to take five and turn it into uh, ten than it is to take two and turn it into four. But God saw the work of both of these as equal. That should be encouraging to us to know God is not going to measure me based upon your work. God's not going to measure... I'm not going to have to answer to God on how well I do based upon how well everyone else does. In verse 15, here's what we see. Let's get started with the heart of the sermon this morning. Number one, God gives all of us talents. God gives every single one of His children talents. I don't care who you are. 
I don't care how long you've been saved or how new your salvation is or how long you've been in the church or what you can or can't do, what you have or have not accomplished, every single person under the sound of my voice has talents. God has gifted you with talents. And not only has God gifted you with talents, He expects you to use the talents He's given you to further His kingdom. We also see that we will ultimately give an account of how we use our talents. That there came, the Bible says, after a long time. And sometimes it feels like that. It feels like we're waiting on the Lord. It feels like it's been a long time. But after a long time, the Lord did come and He wanted an account for what His servants did with the gifts that He gave them. And we see in verse 14 that it was the Lord's goods, His goods He delivered to them. That means that my talents are not my own. They weren't given to me for the purpose of building up my kingdom. They weren't given to me for the purpose of making me great. Your talents weren't given to you for the purpose of making you great. Your talents, my talents, the talents that God has gifted us with are for the sole purpose of building His kingdom, of lifting up His name, of glorifying God. Now, two of them, they went out and they did something with their talents. I want us to focus on the third servant. Why did he hide his talents? Why did he not do something with what God told him to do? In verse 25, the first four words of that verse explain it. And I was afraid. He was afraid. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Notice he called it your talent. He recognized it was from God. He recognized it had been given to him. He was afraid. What was he afraid of? What did this servant fear that caused him to hide what God had given him? What are the fears that keep us in hiding? What are the fears that keep us from using the talents God has given us to build His kingdom and to lift up His name? The first fear that I want us to see this morning that I believe played a role in this particular servant is the fear of insignificance. Notice he was the one talent servant. He was the servant that, like many of us, looked at everyone else and said, well, I can't do what they do. He's the two talent servant. He's got twice as much talent as me, so I ought to just sit there and let him use his talents because he's going to accomplish so much more. One of the most dangerous and deadly things that you can do as an individual is start comparing yourself to other people. Stop with the comparisons. Stop measuring yourself based upon everyone else around you and understand that God gave you certain talents that He didn't give the two-talent person, that He didn't give the five-talent person. You have to learn to rest in the fact that God has given you talents, the Bible says, according to our own ability. And so God has given us 
what we can handle. He has gifted us with what we can handle. And we must learn to take the talents God has given us and use them for His glory. But if you begin to think what you do is insignificant, it's so small, it doesn't really matter in the grand scale of eternity, that fear of insignificance will sideline you most of your life and you'll sit around doing nothing and just hoping that God will send more people into the church that are two and five talent people so that a bunch can get done. I would rather have a hundred one talent people than one five talent person. Do the math. But the devil will try to discourage us into thinking what you're doing is insignificant. It's a lie. Every single one of you has something significant to do for the kingdom of God. And if you don't believe that, it's because you're comparing it to someone whom you think is more significant. Stop comparing yourself. God did not compare, make you to be somebody else. God did not gift you to be somebody else. God gifted you to be you. And as long as you're comparing yourself to everybody around you, as long as you've got certain heroes in your life, you think, oh, I could never be that or I could never do that, you will be fearful of your insignificance and it will paralyze you from ever entering into the game. You are meant to be part of the game. You are meant to be part of God's kingdom. Jesus gives us so many parables and they apply to so many different areas of our life. But I want you to notice in this particular parable, it's not talking about salvation. It's not talking about being sons and daughters of God. It's not talking about Christ coming after us as lost sheep. In this particular parable, everybody is is, uh, pictured as a servant of God. Brought into His will, into His kingdom for the purpose of building His kingdom. When I was thinking about this sermon... I thought about, and listen, sometimes preachers are weird. We just have to think about stuff to try to really get a hold of of a text. And I thought about all the times of the honor of maybe being allowed on a team. Or maybe the disappointment of not being picked, of not being chosen to be on a team. And I thought about how much greater of an honor it is to be picked and to be wanted, to be on a great team. It's one thing to be good enough to play minor league football. It's another thing to be good enough to play, you know, Division One football. It's another thing to be good enough to, to be able to play arena football. But when you are invited to play in the big leagues, and you're invited to play in the NFL, that's a great honor. And we can think about all these different analogies of teams and being wanted. And But what greater team is there? What greater thing is there to ever be chosen, not just by the team, but by the owner of the team? And not just any team, but by the one kingdom that's going to stand forever, by the Creator, eternal God, the one who made the world, the heavens and the earth and the universe and all that we see and all that we know. What great an honor for Him to look at you, you individually. You put your name in there and say, I want you on my team. And I'm going to gift you to do something significant on my team. 
When you understand God has chosen you to be part of His team, He has chosen you to help build His kingdom, He has gifted you with certain talents to build up His kingdom, and you really get a hold of that, my brother, my sister, insignificance will begin to flee. Quit looking at everybody else and look at the reality that God enlisted you and gifted you with talents to lift up His name. Don't compare yourself to others. The most important ministry in the world is the one that God's put you in. That's the most important ministry in the world to you. You're not going to answer to God for what happens with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. You're not going to answer to God for what happens with this church or that church. You're not even going to answer to God for what happens for, with Joplin Everything. You will answer to God for what you do with your life. And therefore, the most important ministry in your life is the one God has called you to. We just, we live in a culture that is so media driven and so phony. Where it's this Hollywood mentality that success is somehow becoming famous. That success is measured in how many total people follow you on Twitter. That success is somehow measured in how many radio stations you have, how many people are in your church, how, how, many, how much influence you have over the world. And that is such a phony way of measuring success for many reasons. Number one, you can do all of those things and still be a failure. That's number one. Number two, less than 1% of the population is ever going to do that. And so there's this phony, false mentality that that is success and all of us, we're just kind of like, you know, nothings that, that are fortunate enough to be able to watch people of great success. And this feeling of insignificance and this, this gap of this is what success is and this is what we are, it is so phony, it is so fake, it is so plastic, it is so unreal. Real success, according to the Word of God, real success starts in the home. That's why God said if a man isn't able to be over his own home and, and, and be respected and have children that respect him and a wife that respect him in his own home, he has no business leading the church. Some of the most people that we would think are the greatest, most successful people in the whole world, they're so successful. You find out their children don't respect him, their children have left the ministry, their children don't like church because they failed in the very first, most important ministry of their life of being a father. Whatever ministry God's called you to, and listen, ministry, when we think of ministry, this is a, another faulty thing of ministry. It just, as a pastor, it bugs me. The idea that ministry falls into the category of preaching, teaching, and singing. That somehow that's what ministry is. And so if you're not one of those, you're just a layman who's lucky to let people minister to you. That is so far from the Word of God. I'm not saying that what we do as a, that what I do as a pastor isn't ministry. I'm not saying that what our singers do isn't ministry. I'm not saying that what our teachers do isn't ministry. 
But ministry is so much bigger than that. It is not confined to that. Real ministry, if you are, if, if we were to put it in a, a, you know, a canned statement, real ministry, we would say something like this. Real ministry is simply taking the Word of God and the love of God to a lost and dying world. That's what real ministry is. And each and every one of us have talents God has gifted us where we can do that. In your workplace, in your school, parents to your children, young people to your your peers at school, to your friends, we all have talents. And one of the first things I believe that caused this man to hide from the greatness that God had called him to. It's great. I don't know about you, but I can't think of any greater honor than to have it be said from God Himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. I can't think of any... There's not a sport in the world. There's not a platform on earth. There's not anything that you could ever accomplish. All the people on earth that have ever existed cheering you on saying, great job. It pales in comparison to the lover of your soul, the Creator of heaven and earth, to look at you face to face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if that is His desire, and that's what He's called us to, God has called each of us to greatness. We just have to understand and define greatness by His terms and not what this world tries to tell us greatness is. So the first thing that caused this servant to hide from greatness was the fear of insignificance. The second thing I believe that caused him to hide was the fear of unfavorable circumstances. The fear of unfavorable circumstances. God gave him one talent. And he knew God was going to call him to do something with it. He looked around and said, I don't have as much as this guy, as much as that guy. And oh, God requires quite a bit of us and I can't do it. He was afraid he was going to lose it. Which we're going to find later, he actually ended up losing it anyways. But he was so afraid he was going to lose it. He was so afraid that his circumstances were so unfavorable to him that he went and buried that thing and hid it just to make sure nothing happened to it. You know, if you wait for circumstances to fall in place before you use your talents, you will be sidelined your whole life. God always calls us to do things that are unfavorable to our circumstances. You know, God tells Abraham, you're going to be great. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But for now, all that you need to know is that you need to leave your land, leave your family behind, and you need to just start journeying to a land I'll show you later. It takes faith to say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Becoming a great nation by leaving everything I know, leaving my family behind, and just journeying to a land you haven't even told me of yet. How is that going to help me become a great nation? God always has this element of faith that He asks of us so that we must depend upon Him when we move forward with what He's called us to do. You look at Joseph. Here's a man who believed God and was faithful to God from a prison cell. Pretty unfavorable circumstances of ever becoming something great when your life is lived in the dungeon. 
God met Moses and said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, Moses, to lead my people out of this place. Moses must have had some type of a stutter of some form. He was so nervous about speaking, he said, I need Aaron to speak for me. God reminded Moses, I'm the one that made your mouth. I can use anybody that I want to. But when Moses thought about the, I mean, when Moses thought about, I'm going to be leading Israel, who am I? I'm not even someone who's good at speaking. How in the world am I going to lead these people? That's unfavorable circumstances. And then, when they get through and they're about to go through the, into the promised land, what did they do? They sent 12 spies, you remember? And all 12 spies came back. And all 12 spies said the same thing. When they said this, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. They're huge. Those guys are big guys. They're giants. They're gonna, we're gonna get destroyed. Well, ten of them said we're going to get destroyed. Two of them said, no, we can make it. But all of them said, the circumstances are unfavorable. I want to ask by a show, I want to do something this morning. If you know the names, and I'm going to ask one person, so don't stand up if you're going to, your knees are going to buckle and you're going to pass out if I pick you. But if you know the names of the two people the two spies who said, we can do it. I want you to stand up real quick. How many of you know the names of the two spies? Okay. Keller? Joshua and Caleb. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if you can name one, just one, of the ten spies who said we can't go, stand up. Greatness isn't easy. God always calls us to unfavorable circumstances. It takes some courage to say, wait a second. If God is for me, who can be against me? It takes a willingness to bury your head in this Bible sometimes and say, no, you know what? God was with Abraham. God was with Joshua. God was with Moses. God was with Caleb. God was with Joshua. God was with David. God was with His people and He'll be with me. But you can't let unfavorable circumstances paralyze you from doing something for God. The third thing that I believe that caused this, the, the third fear that I believe that caused this man to hide from greatness was the fear of half truths. When he explains his case to the Lord, he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered. Look at verse 26. The Lord answers, You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered. See, notice he leaves out the part about being a hard man. He acknowledges that, yeah, you're right. I am a one who has reaped where I haven't sown. But I'm not a hard man. Not hard to get along with. I gave you a talent to start with when you had nothing to work with. And I believe sometimes the fear of half-truths, they keep us from doing things for God. That the devil takes certain truths and twists them 
and puts a little bit of a spin on them and paralyzes us in fear. We don't want to do anything because we're so afraid if we mess up that somehow God is going to punish us. But the reality is, the blood is sufficient. And if the blood is sufficient for God, it must be sufficient for us. The old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. And when the old man tries to raise up his head, we can remind ourselves God sees us as in Christ. That's what you really need to understand is you're in Christ this morning. And that Christ is in you. That's the most important thing you can get is that God sees me in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm sheltered. It's okay if I fall. It's okay if I blow it. It's okay if I make a mess of myself because I can come to God. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess them to the Lord. I can come to Him and He will cast them in the sea of forgetfulness. Now, I want you to remember that statement, the sea of forgetfulness, because I'm going to come back to it later. But sometimes, half-truths keep us from doing certain things. And I wish I, I really, really wish I had a better illustration. But sometimes we get things in our mind, like being used in ministry and being accepted means dressing a certain way because the church I go to, here's how they dress. And you might think, well, I can't do that. I can't be that. Or you've got to be like this. Or you've got to be like that. And, 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 and we have all these things that we think are true that often aren't. The fact is, God gave you a talent to use for His name and for His glory. That's a fact. That He has gifted each and every one of us with gifts. And we cannot allow half-truths, things that the devil takes and twists to make us fearful of, 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 not doing, of doing something for God. We should courageously press forward and say, I'm going to take what God has given me. I'm going to do something with it. He gave it not so I could hide it, just so that at the end of the age I can turn it back into Him and say, oh, I still have it. No, He gave it to me to do something with. He gave it to me to build up His kingdom, to build up His name. And the fourth reason that I believe this man was fearful this morning caused him to hide from the greatness that God had for him is simply the fear of failure. The fear of failure. He was so afraid that he'd have nothing to show at the end of it that he hid it so that at least he'd feel like he'd have something. He's afraid of failing. Pride is such a wicked thing. We want to look like winners all the time. I mean, who, who likes to be a failure? Who likes to be a loser? Who likes to make it to the big game and be the one that loses? Nobody likes to fail. And nobody likes to feel like we failed. Wake up call this morning. You're going to fail. And what God wants you to know is that it's okay to fail. The greatest failure that any of us could ever do is to just decide we're not going to try so that we can't fail trying. Well, you've already failed then. You've already given up. Some people are so terrified of failing that they decide they're just never going to try again. 
They're just going to, just why do it? Why try? I tried that before and it didn't work. I tried this and it didn't work. Keep trying. Don't give up. Don't let the fear of failure paralyze you from trying again. Sometimes we become fearful because we live our life in the rearview mirror. You make all of your decisions about what you're going to do and how you're going to... And I'm not saying that there's no room whatsoever for learning from past mistakes, but being controlled by them is a whole different thing, my brothers and sisters. Some people live their whole life in the rearview mirror. I remember how I blew it back here, so I'm never going to try that again. I remember how I blew it back over here, so I'm never going to try that again. Living life with your hands on the wheel, trying to move forward, but doing nothing but looking at what happened behind you. Quit remembering all of your past failures. Quit it. Don't let all of your past mistakes keep you from doing something for God. And don't be fearful about mistakes to come. You're going to make them. We make mistakes. As I was looking at this final point and I was thinking about it in my own life, I thought about how many times I have personally failed. I have failed a lot. I stand before you this morning as a failed man. I have failed as a pastor. I have failed as a preacher. I have failed as a husband. I have failed as a father. I have failed as a friend. You name it. Any area in my life that is significant, I have failed at it. And if you're honest, you probably have too. But I just learned, you know what? I can't give up. I, it'd be even worse to quit. What am I going to quit being a husband because I just failed so terribly? No. Learn from it. Do something with it. Just make up your mind that, hey, I'm going to dig my heels in even more. I'm going to do what it takes even more to make sure that the next time I'm faced with that same trial, I don't fail the same way. But the last thing I'm going to do is continue looking around at all the mess that I've made in my life and decide, well, I'll just never try again. I'll just sit here and wait till the Lord comes to get me. It's a bad thing to do as we see about what happened with this unprofitable servant. Can I say that I'm not proud of my failures? And if I could go back and redo them, I would. But with that said, there are some things I have learned as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a human being. There are some things that I have learned today that I simply wouldn't have learned had I not failed so bad at it before. It's just the truth. And I would go back and change it if I could. I'd find a way to learn the lesson another way. Sometimes I'm a hard-headed guy. 
I'm one of the men in this world that often thinks everything that I do is right. And that if you could just come around and see the way I see, you'd agree with what I agree with. And I bet I'm not the only one of me out there. And that type of hard-headedness, sometimes the only way I can learn anything is to just blow it and then... Uh, you know, and I'm dealing with shame and guilt, thinking, oh man, you thought you had it all together and it's just proof you didn't. I've had to learn. It's humbled me sometimes. It's humbled me. It's reminded me I'm just like everybody else on this earth. I need a Savior. I'm thankful for a God that loves me, that has provided a way for me. But uh, remember I said I wanted to just come back to this. The Lord said He had cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. we have to learn to the best of our ability to do the same thing. We have to learn that once we have asked for forgiveness and we have sincerely repented, quit letting that past failure rule your life today. Quit letting past mistakes control you. Don't let Satan paralyze you. You know, sometimes we're so afraid of losing. Sometimes we're so afraid of, of what might happen that we, as this man did here, he thought he had a great plan. I mean, he was going to bury it somewhere that nobody else knew so that nobody else could ever take it. And then when it was all done, he wouldn't have much to offer, but at least he'd be able to say, I didn't lose it. Here is the lesson, and this is what I want us to get this morning, and I'm done. Trying to hold on to it lost him everything. Trying to hold on to it lost him everything. Because God didn't give you your talents to hold on to. God didn't gift you with whatever He's gifted you with for you to sit on it and at the end of your life be able to say, well, I still have it. God says, I didn't give it to you for that reason. I gave it to you to do something for My kingdom. I expected you to take that and invest it into the lives of the people of this world. Whether it was your, your talent of being a, a, a friendly and, 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 and noticing when people are hurting and wounded and having that special gift, to, to come along beside them and remind them there is a God who will never forsake them, who loves them with a love that, that, that cannot even be expressed with words, who is, who is faithful to them. Whether it's that talent of coming along and encouraging people. Maybe it's a talent of, of being able to, to properly divide the word of truth and helping people grapple with certain passages that, in their life that they need some, some clarity with. Maybe you're gifted with, with knowing how to build things and, and knowing how to be creative. And God wants you to take your creativity and use it somehow, some way to honor His name and to glorify Him and to build up His kingdom. Maybe God's blessed you with the ability to, um, to manage people. And He wants you to use your talents to manage people in the workforce and to show them the love of God through what you do. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's seeking, maybe it's generating wealth, maybe it's mission-minded uh, giving, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's planning, maybe it's organizing, maybe it's so many different things. The point is this, we all have different talents. 
And what you need to do is quit determining how significant your talent is based upon this person over here. And you need to realize there's a very important need for your talent in God's kingdom. Now you figure out how to get in and do something with it because God expects you to do something with it. As a worship team comes this morning, are you hiding from greatness? Do you believe that what God's called you to is great? If you don't, you're not understanding the greatness of the fact God simply wants you on His team. That is great. If you don't believe that what God has called you to is great, let it sink deep in your heart and in your soul that there's going to come a time you stand before Him and the Creator of heaven and earth is going to look in your eyes and He's going, to, He's going to speak to you individually about what you've done with your talents. That is great. There's no greater honor than that. Are you hiding from your greatness? Have you allowed the devil to make you think that yours, whatever you are is not great? Whatever you're supposed to do is insignificant? Do you fear the unfavorable circumstances in your life? Do you think, I, I can never do this because... I, I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with that. Do you fear failing? You're going to fail. Let's fail together. Huh? Let's just fail together. And then when I fall, you help me get up. And when you fall, I'll help you get up. But the last thing in the world we want to do is just decide we're not going to try because we're afraid we're going to fall down. We're going to fall down. There's an enemy that's trying to stop us every step of the way. Setting traps to make us fall. Doing things to try to make us quit. It's a battle. Don't let the fear of falling and the fear of failure make you decide you're going to sit on the sidelines all your life. God gifted you with a very unique ability. God gifted you with talents that He wants you to use for His honor and for His glory. Father, I pray that You'd move across this room. I pray that we'd be encouraged this morning. Encouraged. As we meditate on the reality You chose us to be on Your team. God, I pray that we'd be convicted about comparing ourselves to other people and other ministries and realize You didn't call us to be other ministries. You didn't call us to be somebody else. You called us to be us. Individually, You gifted us. Help us to be joyful about that this morning. I pray this morning that there might be some, there might be a lot here that have been holding back from just being all in for You because of maybe some of these fears. pray this morning, God, that perfect love would cast out these fears. That Your people would enter into Your plan and Your will for their life with a new fervency, with a new expectancy, with a new level of excitement. In Jesus' name.